everybody doing today? Good. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. We got a lot to learn today. Say, Holy Spirit, teach me today. Let's do our memory verse. Now, I heard some people were whining about the memory verse was too long last week. So we cut it down, five words for you. <laughs> so we're going to learn one memory verse every month here in church. We do it every week in our, uh, our groups and D groups. But we're going to go over one a month and uh, we're going to go through the, uh, 12 for the whole year. So one of the ways to learn memory verses is to say it over and over and over again. So we're going to say it a couple times here. But you've got to say it on your own every day. And you've got to use it. So, uh, and, and if you could think of some tricks on how to learn it. So in this memory verse, you see, let's, let's read it one more time. I want you to look at the uh, word over. Everyone say over. It says it four times, right? Over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle, and over every creep. So we're going to do four overs. Amen? Can I get it? And some of the creeps are in this room, like your boyfriend that you brought here. That's okay. Amen? <laughs> let's, let's read it. Everyone say, then God said. Let's say it together. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Amen. Let's say that one more time. How many overs? How many overs? How many overs? Let's read it again. One more time. One, two, three. Then God said. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all, everything, <laughs> every creature. <laughs> I can't read this morning. I can't read this morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has made you in his image. God has made you in his image. Take a seat. You may be seated. You may be seated. Everyone say over. Okay, before we pray, before we pray, um, I wanted to uh, give you a visual illustration of the difference between an R group and a D group. And we've been talking uh, since in December that we already have R groups that are groups of th three to 20 or 30 people co-ed that meet indefinitely. We, even though we have semesters, they, you know, you can meet with the same group of people for, for your whole life. We started this year D groups that are smaller groups, three to five, gender specific, that meet for one year. And after that year, each one of those members go get their own group for discipleship uh, purposes, higher accountability. And so I want to illustrate to you what that looks like and the power of multiplication. Because it's one thing for us to meet together and have fellowship. It's another thing for us to multiply and make disciples. Because remember our, our uh, memory verse in December, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I get amen? So what is a disciple? We're going to talk about that for the next three months. But I wanted to show you this illustration. So this is a R group. We have about 1,000 R groups uh, at, at the end of last year. We had 1,000. We'll maybe have more this year. We'll see. But we had about 1,000 R groups. And R groups are co-ed groups, three and more people. It could be 30 people. And they can meet uh, forever. You know, we have semesters, but you can meet indefinitely. So this is a typical R group. Um, and it's, it's co-ed, anybody can come and go. You don't necessarily have to be a believer, uh, non-believers are coming as well. But a D group is very different. A D group is three to five people only, all believers, and they commit to each other for one year. So let's break up to a D group. D group is gender specific. We have three guys, 
three ladies, hypothetically, three to five, gender specific, because these guys are going to talk about some guy things they don't want the ladies to hear, and these ladies are going to talk about some lady things that they don't want the guys to hear. Can I get amen? And there's going to be higher accountability. There's going to be confidentiality in both groups. And they're going to get into each other's business and challenge each other uh, in this specific growth, not just sit in a room like here. I can't get in your grill. I mean, I can't, I don't, I'm not right there in your face, right? I'm not asking you specific questions about your life in this context. And so this context is where that happens. The cool thing about this is that after one year, if you get in a D group, after one year, you have to, and you committed this in the beginning, you now split up and you get your own D group. Each one of these is going to get their own D groups. Let's do that. Each one of these is going to get their own three to five people. And this is how multiplication can happen. Where's all my D group? Where's all my peoples? Here they come. So here's all the people they're going to get and they're going to have their own D group. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you following what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, so, so now, now we have all these people coming out. So we started with six people. And now we have all these people. Right? Now we have, and then all these different groups are all going to meet for one year. These groups of three, groups of three, groups of three, groups of three. They're going to meet for one year. And then they're all going to go out and get their own three. Are y'all following what I'm saying? If you had one group of three, one group, one group, in 13 years, you can reach all of San Diego, over 3 million people. Amen? Now, I want you to, I want you to watch this. I want you to watch this graphic on the screen because this is going to show you an illustration of what that looks like. This one group, the, the, the solid dot at the top is the person leading the group and he has three people, so it's four total. In one year, they do this. Next year, they do this. Next year, they do this. And you get the idea. Boom, 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 boom. Now, what's the point? The point is that each one of you, we're asking each one of you, listen, if I'm a disciple, remember we talked about being a disciple? If you're a disciple, get a D group. Text disciple to 52525. It's in your bulletin. Get a D group. It could be people in your, from your R group if you're in one. Or it could be just three or four people that you know. I have three guys in my group. They're 28 to 30 years old. Okay. We're starting Tuesday. And we're going to meet for one year. And they all know after this one year, all you guys are going to go get your three. And then after that year, all those guys are going to go get their three. Or three or five. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. Thank you all. Let's get on our knees. Let's get on our knees. Say amen if that makes sense to you. Very good. Say amen if you want to be a disciple. Raise your hand if you want to be a disciple. Putting you on the spot. Putting you on the spot. Very good. Raise your hand real high. Elbow. I just want to see hands. I want to see hands. Okay. All the, all the campuses. Very good. Keep your hand up. If all of y'all said, you know what, I'm going to start my D group. I'm going to get three people in all the campuses. Y'all pay people raise your hand. Do you have it? This is, we, we just showed you multiplication of one person. We have right now a little over 200 signed up already. Let's get to 1,000. I don't know what number it is. Let's all, let's all do this. And, and here's, you put your hands down. What's going to happen to you is your life's going to change. You will never, ever, ever, ever grow to the point where God wants you to grow just coming here. That's not what this is for. It's when, you are in, it's when you are in accountability and not only are you being challenged by someone that loves you, that you have confidentiality, but when you start to teach and share what you learn, that's when you're going to grow. Okay? And so this, is, this has a purpose, but God, what God wants for you is not going to happen just with this alone. I used this illustration before. It's like going and watching a football game. There's a huddle, but no one goes to see the huddle. They go to see the play. This is our huddle. Okay, the play is what you do when you leave. 
Okay? And so get, get your D group. Go to 52525. Text Disciple to 52525. And let's sign up. Um, and we'll, we'll send you all the materials every week. Um, every week based on the sermon, based on the reading. We're starting Exodus today, reading through the Bible. Uh, you'll get information every week from us to go over in your D group. Okay? Lord, challenge us, teach us today. Encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the person next to you as you get up and say, I am a disciple. <laughs> when I was uh, 10 years old, I started playing football. And mine and everybody, every friend I had's dream was to play professional football. And when I went to college, I went to Division III school. No one had ever gone to, they had never had a winning season. They were very small. It was like a high school. I still had that dream in my heart. And I got a team picture from the Dallas Cowboys. They sent it to everybody. And I sat in my room and said, I'm going to do that one day. You have to, in your mind, say, I'm a disciple. You're not a disciple when you learn the whole Bible. You're a disciple now. I'm going to be a disciple. So we want to talk to you and teach you what that means in our context. Amen. So let's get your Bibles out. Let's get your Bibles out. Lift your Bibles up, say word. Okay, one more time. See, the one time I asked you to say it, <laughs> without counting the three, then you're like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to say. On the count of three, say word. One, two, three, say word. Turn to Exodus chapter three, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter three. And then we're going to do a little, a little uh, demonstration here in a minute. Exodus three. Second book of the Bible. Chapter 3, right in the beginning, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus is exit from Egypt. Everyone say exit from Egypt. An exit sign has, the first two letters are E-X, Exodus, E-X. Every time you say exit sign for the rest of your life, I want you to think of Exodus, exit from Egypt. I want you to think of Moses. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in all the campuses, I want to welcome all the campuses. Out there, I want you to close your eyes. Right now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, raise your shoulders up, and then relax your shoulders all the way down as you exhale. Close your eyes. I want you to assess the condition of your heart. How do you feel right now? You happy, sad, burdened? discouraged, assess your heart. What is, what is your heart towards your best friend? What is your heart towards worship? Is it indifferent? Are you passionate about it? What is your heart towards giving? Do you like to give? Feel manipulated? What is your heart towards sharing your faith? And then I want you to think about what is God's heart toward you? I'm going to tell you he loves you. What is God's heart towards worship? He wants you to be passionate about it. What is God's heart towards non-believers? He loves them. 
And now I just want you to, in your heart, you don't need to say this out loud. Just say, God, give me your heart for the lost. Give me your heart for giving. Give me your heart for worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We have defined a disciple as a person with a disciplined pursuit of the heart of the Father. A heart being perfected in love for God and people. I'm going to say this one more time. I asked you a few minutes ago, how many of y'all are disciples? This is what we have defined as disciple. A person with a disciplined pursuit. Everyone say pursuit. A disciplined pursuit of the heart of the Father, a heart being perfected in love for God and people. For the next three months, up until we get to Easter, we are going to talk about how do we pursue and attain the heart of the Father. I can tell you to read your Bible every day, but if your heart's not in it, guess what? You're not going to learn anything. I can tell you, hey, come to church every week, but if your heart's not in it, you're not gonna, it's just going to be a habit. I can tell you, hey, come down here and worship and, and lift your hands up, but if your heart is not in it, it's just religion. And that's the problem with religion. Religion is rules and external guidelines, but it doesn't necessarily mean that your heart is in it. So when we say, who is a disciple, you say, I want to be a person that pursues the heart of the Father. Now, every week we are going to pray a prayer we're called the Do Something Disciple Prayer. It's in your bulletin. I want you to read it. It's going to be on the screen. And we're going to give this to you in your R group. We're going to give this to you in your D group because we want you to get in the habit of asking the Father for his heart. And we have listed 12 expressions of the heart of the Father that we're going to teach every week, one a week from now till Easter. And we call them the D12. <clears throat> These are 12 ways that we're going to pray that God give us his heart towards worship, towards giving. You, well, you see what they are. So let's, let's read these together. We're going to read them slow uh, on the screen. Let's put that on the screen. So everyone say, Father, give me a heart that desperately seeks face-to-face intimacy with you. Imagine if God gave you that heart where every day you're wanting face-to-face intimacy. Say, faithfully avoids that which displeases you. Humbly embraces a kingdom mindset. Values making disciples. Say, Jesus, create in me a heart that values being guided by the word of God. Can you imagine every time you got up and say, Lord, I want to be guided by your word today, so I'm going to read it so I got information and insight on how to conduct my day. Can, you get, can I get amen if that makes sense to you? Amen. Say, Jesus created me a heart that gratefully grows in generosity. You don't want to be that person, yeah, okay, here's my money. Lord, give me a heart that loves to be generous. Not only in money, but in compliments and forgiveness. Lord, give, say, Jesus created me a heart that nurtures a burden for lost people, demonstrates a commitment to a spirit-filled expression of my gifts. Say, Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me 
that gracefully gives and receives forgiveness. I don't want to forget that person. You're like those munchkins on uh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Love those brothers. <laughs> Say, Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me that passionately worships God. Hey, if you're a disciple and you're saying, God, give me a heart that passionately worships you, guess what's going to happen when, as soon as service starts? You're here. You're not driving down, driving down the street to campus or whatever campus you go to. You're not turning on the internet, you know, five minutes after service. You're there early waiting to worship. Because God's heart is in you saying, let's go worship. You're not going to do this at work. You're going to do this here. Can I get amen? amen. Say, Holy Spirit, develop a heart in me. That is dependent on the power of prayer and that serves with humility. Father, knit my heart with yours. Fill my heart with your passions, motivations, and desires. In Jesus' name, amen. So every day when you go to our group, every day when you go to D group, you're going to have that prayer. Every week we're going to pray that prayer. Father, give me a heart. Can you imagine every day when you wake up, please, you have it in your lesson plan. Say that when you wake up. Make that part of your daily thing. Father, give me your heart. Because if you give me your heart as I'm walking through my day, as I'm operating through my day, I am doing things based on the motivation of your heart. Exodus chapter 3. Everyone turn to Exodus chapter 3. Whenever you read through the Bible, you have to know what literary style you are reading in order to understand what to look for. In Exodus, we're going to read a story or a narrative. Everyone say narrative. 60% of the Bible is narrative. There are other different literary styles. There's poetry, there's, there's apocalyptic, uh, prophetic language, um, there's gospels, there's legal uh, 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 genres. But 60% is are stories and the Bible as a whole is a story. And whenever you read a story in the Bible, it's very important for you to look for who are the characters in the story. There's always someone in a narrative who is God's friend. Everyone say God's friend. And there's always someone in the story who's God's enemy. Say God's enemy. God's friend is someone who's promoting God's agenda. And God's enemy is someone who's opposing God's friend, who opposes God's agenda. It's a good, by, good, good guy, bad guy. Every movie you watch has this, this uh, structure. There's always someone who's good and someone who's bad. And in the very first five minutes of the movie, they want to establish in your mind, that's the good guy, that's the bad guy, and here's the challenge of the good guy, and here's the bad guy going to stop him. That's every movie. And the plot of every story is the conflict between the two. So everyone say God's friend. Say God's enemy. In every story in the Bible, there is someone's God's friend. It's a person. It's a group of people. It's an angel. In every story in the Bible, there's a God's enemy, which is a person, a group of people, or a demons. And they oppose God's friend, and that's the conflict. And so in this particular story, you're going to have Moses, and Moses is going to be called to confront Pharaoh. Okay? He's, we're not going to get to that. You'll, you'll read that, by the way, tomorrow, and the next day you'll start reading Moses' actual confrontation of Pharaoh. But in this story, Moses is going to be called to go deliver God's people because God's people are being uh, placed in bondage and slavery by God's enemies. So in this story, God's going to call Moses to go deliver them. Now, what does this have to do with discipleship? In discipleship, in order for you to 
in order for you to ask God for his heart, you have to know what his heart is. And when you read the Bible, especially when you read stories in, in all the Bible, God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us in many ways, but specifically in stories, when you have God's friend and God's enemy, God's friend is trying to, trying to accomplish and fulfill God's purpose. God's enemy is against God's purpose. God always delivers. He is the hero in every story. You are not designed to be the hero. So if you are in something that's way bigger than you and you have a problem in your life that's way bigger than you, you have to understand God is your friend. He's your savior. And he has to be the hero in your story. And so when you read the Bible, what you learn about is how God acts on behalf of his friends. And when you learn how God acts on behalf of his friends and you learn God's heart, then you could say, as a disciple, I want that heart. I'm going to say that again real slow. When you learn how God acts on behalf of his friends or behalf of people who he's trying to deliver. In this story, we're going to learn how he acts on behalf of people he's trying to deliver. When you learn about his faithfulness, when you learn about his power, when you learn about his patience, then you could say, okay, God, I want to I wanna knit my heart with your heart because I may be scared in my situation, but your heart is different. So as a disciple, I want to pursue your heart. I want to pursue your perspective. I want to pursue your power. Are you following what I'm saying? And so in this story, this, and this story is really just a conversation, the story gets even better when you read. That's why you got to read through the Bible. The Bible is amazing. Always look for God's friend, God's enemy, and look for the big problems that God's friends face every time and how God says, I'm going to be the hero, and the supernatural things God does on behalf of his friends. And then you can say, number one, that's my God, and God will act on my behalf. But I want to know God's perspective. I want God's heart. So when I'm facing my situation... I know I got a God that's big who's on my side and that, and that my heart could be knit to his heart so I can see things from his perspective. Are you all following what I'm saying? And so everyone, everyone say the word ask with a K. Say ask. <laughs> ask. Three, three, three steps to asking for God's heart. Ask. Number one, you have to assess your heart. What is my heart? So when I talk about sharing your faith with your friends, you're like, that means your heart is a little nervous. Okay. What is your heart towards something? In this particular situation, we're talking about people who are in bondage. What is your heart towards your bondage? You may feel helpless, hopeless in your addiction, in your anger, in your jealousy, in your bitterness. That's your heart. But what is God's heart towards your bondage? That's the key. First is first ask, A-S-K. The next is S, is um, survey and search the scriptures for the conviction of God's heart. I may feel lost and helpless to my bondage. God says, no, I, can, I got all the power in the world. That's the difference. My heart says this. God's heart says this. So first I have to say, what is my heart? When it comes to worship, you're like, I don't want to raise my hand. That's your heart. I'm nervous about raising my hands. I'm nervous about singing out loud. And God's heart says, worship me with all you have. There's a difference. A disciple says, I am pursuing God's heart. Are you following what I'm saying? And how do you pursue God's heart? And this is what we're, this is what we're talking about. Assess yours. Search the scriptures for what God's heart is because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So his is the same. And then the last part, which is K, ask God to knit your heart with his heart. <laughs> Say, God, if you are passionate about worship, knit my heart to your heart. I want, to have, I want to worship like you. I want to have a burden for non-believers like you. I want to have a burden. I want to have a passion for worship. I want to have a passion for being generous. I want to be forgiving like you. 
Just give me your heart. And we'll say, God, give me your heart. At the very top of your lesson plan, just look real quick. At the very top of your lesson plan, there's a little question. It says, how is your heart? Do you see that? Say amen if you see it. Is it on there? Is it on there? Say yes if you see it. One more time. Take a deep breath in and just say yes if you see it. No? <laughs> Man. Okay, you can say yes or no. Just something. Just <laughs> Is it in there? No, okay, it should be in there. Okay, next week it'll be in there. It's good. So my bad. <laughs> Thank you. You're like, yes, but it's not there. Yes, it's not there. Yes. <laughs> my bad. It'll be there next week. <laughs> and here's what it's going to say. Here's what it's going to say. How is your heart? And it's going to be a blank. How is your heart? It's going to be a blank. And what, why is that important? Every time you come here, I'm a little discouraged today. I'm frustrated today. Just so you know where you at. I don't want to be here. Okay, write it down. Just so you know. And now if you can engage in your heart, it's okay, that's where, that's where I'm at. Okay, God, I know you're not there. So knit me together. God, speak to me. Amen. Let's read this. Let's read this passage. Look what it says. <laughs> no one wanted to say no. They're like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone take a deep breath in and say no. That wasn't that hard. <laughs> I'm okay, I'm good. It says, verse, chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1. Moses was tending flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Orb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame from fire from the midst of the bush and said, look, behold, the bush is burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God, God called to him and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. It's one thing for fire to speak to you. It's another thing to answer. He said, do not, draw, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, Moses said, moreover, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good land and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk and honey means that the land can sustain cows that are going to make milk and they can sustain plants that are going to have fruits and vegetables, that are going to have flowers where bees are going to come and pollinate. So I'm going to take you from a land where it's dusty to a land where you can grow your own food and sustain your own animals. So it's flowing with milk and honey. He's going to take a black cow, eat green grass under a blue sky, and make white milk. And he says, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Uptite, and the Adesite. <laughs> now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people. Everyone say my people. The children of Israel out of Egypt. This story tells us three things about God's heart. God is faithful. 
God considers his people his people. And God has a plan to deliver you from your bondage. Now, let's start first with assessing what is your, the condition of your heart toward your bondage and what is the condition of your heart towards other people in bondage. In other words, you may look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm a slave to my bondage, to my addiction, to my poor self-esteem. I'm a slave to being a failure and always feeling like I'm second. I'm a slave to always feeling like I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not cute enough, I'm not tall enough. All the lies that the devil has put in your head all your life, and you may feel in bondage to that, and that's just the way it's going to be. That's your heart, hypothetically. Or you may look at other people who are in bondage and think, you know, I was driving down the street the other day with somebody, we were looking at some people who were homeless, and someone in my car said, you know, they messed up. They, you know, they said something disparaging. I said, how do you know, that, do you know what happened to their life? How do you know what they've been through? You don't. And you may have critical ideas and thoughts against people who are in their own bondage. So the first thing you want to do is, as, as a disciple, saying, I want to have a heart towards people in bondage like God, is I first need to assess, what is my heart? Now, by the way, the, the most important person you need to think about is you. Do you feel enslaved to something that is unbiblical, that's holding you down, that you feel not even God can get you out? You need to identify what that is. Some of you may feel like I'll never be blank. I'll never see myself as blank. I will never be blessed like blank. That's a lie. You have to identify what that is. This is so critical because if you can identify just one thing, assess, first step, assess. Next thing is search the scriptures. What does God say? What does the Bible say about God's heart, because your heart is one thing. God's heart is another. And as a disciple, you want to pursue God's heart. I want to see things from God's perspective. I don't want to just have God's information. I want God, God, give me. You can't ask God enough or too much, I should say. God, give me your heart. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm discouraged. God, give me your heart. Because what I see, and by the way, what I've been looking at for 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years, I've come to believe it. But am I believing a lie about my own self? And then number two, search the scriptures. What does God say? Look, look what it says. Look what it says. Verse, verse five, it says, it says, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals for your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, God said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're talking about hundreds of years. He says, I have made a pledge to your people hundreds of years ago, and I am still faithful. Do you know that God is faithful? Say God is faithful. And as a disciple, you need to know that God is faithful. He's, he's been Rooting for you, praying for you. Yes, praying for you. Jesus intercedes for you every single day. He's been rooting for you, praying for you since before the foundations of the earth. You say, well, Mark, I got a grandma to pray for me. Brother, you got a great, 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 great heavenly father that's been praying for you ever since the beginning of time. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I have seen the oppression of, say, my people. Say my people, my people, say my people. He says, those are my people. These people who are his people ain't thinking about him. 
There's this idea in, in sociology called ownership. Where as a parent, you own your children. And it's not ownership like you own a car. It's where their well-being is owned by you. Their pain is owned by you. You have um, fiduciary responsibility. Fiduciary responsibility means it's benefiting both of us. It is, it is to my best interest, to your best interest that you be well. God owns. He has ownership of you. He has responsibility over your life, over your well-being. He says, these are my people. You need to know that God has ownership of you. He loves you. And he considers you someone made in his image for the purpose of having a relationship. And he wants to deliver you. What is God's heart for you? And the third thing that we see is that he has a plan for your deliverance. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, I've seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. Everyone say, I know their sorrows. This no, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, which we read two weeks ago, Genesis chapter 4, the Bible says Adam knew Eve and they had a baby. <laughs> well, <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, what's up, Eve? And they had a baby. <laughs> they had intimate relationships, intimate relations, and they knew experientially each other. And they had a child. God knows your pain. He feels your pain. This is God's heart for you. And as a disciple, you need to know God's faithfulness. Look in your notes, three things we're going to look at. Three things, three steps to knitting your heart with God. Number one, Father, give me a heart that identifies itself as a disciple that belongs to you. You need to say, Lord, as you call the Israelites your people, Give me a heart that understands that I am your disciple. I am not despised by you. You're not mad at me. I'm not an outcast. I am your disciple. Lord, Father, give me that heart that understands me as your child, as your friend, as your beloved, as delivered, as forgiven, as loved, as you want me in relationship. Give me that heart. Because the devil's trying to tell you that God's mad at you, that you're alienated from God, that you should run from God, that like Adam, when he sinned, he hid from God. The devil's telling you that. Say, no, God, give me a heart that draws near to you. I want to be a disciple. You raise your hand, I'm a disciple. That's a process of learning what that means and walking in that. It is a process. Lord, you give me that heart. Father, give me the heart. Everyone say, Father, give me, the, give me a heart that identifies itself as a disciple. Number two, create in me a heart. Number two says, create in me a heart that knows your faithfulness. Lord, I don't want to know your faithfulness in my head. I don't want to know your faithfulness in just by reading a story. I don't want to know your faithfulness by hearing someone else say you're faithful. I want to experience your faithfulness. Open my eyes up to all the times that you got me through. Can I get an amen? Raise your hand if you were drunk driving home one night and you have no idea how you got home. Can I get an amen? Look at all these. Look at all. Hey, you know what I'm saying? You're like, hey. And you wake up the next day and say, how did I get home? How many times you walk through, ladies, you walk through a dark parking garage, praying your way to your car. Thanking Jesus you drove out of that parking lot. Can I get an amen? amen. And on and on and on and on and on. 
You were, you were in trouble and you knew the world was coming down on you and God got you through. God, give me that heart so I can remember that and see that and walk in that knowledge and realization that you are faithful. Say God is faithful. And number three, the Holy Spirit develop a heart in me that desires to follow you out of my bondage. Lord, I want to follow you out of my bondage. God told, God told Moses, Moses, and by the way, when you're going to read this tomorrow and the next day, how God goes to the Israelites and says, God wants to deliver you. And they started attacking Moses. And you're going to read, for the, for the, you know, as you read through, through uh, Exodus and, and Leviticus and Numbers, how they were like, we want to go back to bondage. And God's like, are you out of your mind? They were so accustomed to slavery that they said, we better, we, at least we know what we got when we got slavery. We don't, this walking in the wilderness is too, walking by faith is too, is too much of a big unknown. That's why you've got to have the knowledge of God's faithfulness because he's going to lead you through the wilderness. You're going to read that in the coming weeks. But my point is, right, you have to say, Lord, I want your heart to lead me out of bondage. We're going to pray here in a minute. And my prayer is that God will give you a heart to walk away from your bondage. Some of you have never asked Christ to be your Savior. Today's the day for you to ask Christ to be your Savior. Lord, I want your heart because I trust that you're faithful to me. I know that you're faithful. I know that you love me. I know that you have a plan for my life. And even though that your knowledge and your passion for me and love for me is way bigger than mine, I have doubt. Help my unbelief. Because as a disciple, I'm pursuing your heart. Let's all bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to think with me. Think with me. Think with me. I want you to see yourself as someone who is in bondage. We all have a certain specific kind of bondage. There's no person who is not experiencing some kind of deception in their life. And God says to you, I can, I can deliver you out. I want to deliver you out. I love you. I, have, I, ain't got no, I got no issue with you. I love you. I don't like the bondage, but you I love. But you have to accept God's perspective, God's love, God's plan, God's power. And as you read through these books in the coming days and weeks, I want you to watch God's faithfulness, God's power. Look for it. Look for how he overcomes the challenges of Moses and the Israelites as a demonstration of his power and faithfulness. So right now, if you're saying, listen, I want to walk away from my bondage. Your bondage may be you never asked Christ to be your savior. Your bondage may be addiction. Your bondage may be poor self-esteem. You, you hate yourself. You're discouraged. You're depressed. And God is saying to you right now, trust me. Ask me for my heart, my perspective, my power. Pray this prayer with me in the privacy of your heart. Pray, dear God. I trust that you love me. I trust that you're faithful and that you have a deliverance plan for my life. Jesus, thank you that you died and rose for me. I surrender myself to you. Deliver me from my bondage, my addictions my perspectives, my fear, my sin, my depression, be gone. I'm taking you by the hand, God. Lead 
me out of my spiritual slavery. If you pray that prayer for whatever reason, I'm gonna ask you to stand here in a minute. And by standing, you are declaring your freedom. By standing, you are declaring, I am pursuing the heart of God as it pertains to him wanting to deliver oppressed people. <laughs> he is a God who delivers oppressed people. So if you prayed that prayer for whatever reason, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. In all the campuses, if you want your friend to stand with you to encourage you, just tap them on the shoulder, on the hand or whatever it is, and let them know, please stand with me, encourage me. So on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, stand to your feet. One, two, three, stand to your feet. 